Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Screen Talk. Um, Eric Cohn is on vacation. I'm Ann Thompson. And filling in is Marcus Jones who is um, a recent recruit from EW to our um, IndieWire world. He's been working for a while now on the Emmy race and uh, because he's our awards editor. And I'm looking forward to the pivot that's going to occur around Labor Day weekend when Marcus goes to his first Telluride Film Festival. Welcome to uh, Screen Talk, Marcus. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. It's already been exciting joining uh, the IndieWire family and uh, even more exciting to actually be on the show with you. Um, so yeah, ready <laughs> well, to go. Well, let's let's get started. Um, I'm just curious what it's been like covering, uh, you know, the Emmy race. Uh, what 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 have you learned about that beat and, and what what kind of challenges did it present to you and what if and and let's get into eventually the the actual big contenders as you see them now, we're not going to go through every single category yeah. or anything but just just the big stories that you expect to be revealed on nominations morning next week yeah i mean first off it, this year the awards race has been so packed that it's kind of like a hurricane happening on your first day as a weatherman like there is so much going on this year but i think in uh the main categories if we want to go with say best drama series first um i'd say you'd be good with any show kind of starting with an s uh you have succession <laughs> squid game uh, a lot of people are hoping that Severance gets in. That's one of the big sort of freshman dramas that really made an impact um, and definitely is a critical hit. Uh, and even Stranger Things um, has really come at the last minute and been so impactful and Good they just made it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I think that it's still succession versus squid game. And I think a win for squid game would mean so much and be so exciting. And I'm rooting of, for squid game. Yeah. I have to tell you, I, uh, when the SAG awards happened mm -hmm. and there was this great moment, I was talking to, um, the showrunner uh, of squid game, he, he and everyone in the room felt the love. You know, yeah. it, it was impact. It, it reminded me of what it was like when Parasite won the big one yeah. that year. Um, it, it's and and so I feel this rooting now that the trick there, though, is that that was a while ago. Yeah. So the is the momentum still with Squid Game? Even we know it's super popular, but um, Succession has won so much so often. <laughs> right. Time for something new. Yeah, though, I think the big thing about this year's Emmys is the question of like, with the older shows, um, although they're not top of mind, we know a lot of voters have watched them and had the opportunity to watch them, whereas some more 
recent shows, even though that they've grabbed a lot of headlines, it's been like I haven't watched The Staircase because I'm still watching Pam and Tommy. I haven't watched The Dropout uh, because I'm still watching Under the Banner of Heaven. And so, I mean, that gets right into limited series. I think there really is a question of how well these shows that premiered later in the season will actually do. Um, what's funny is that even though there was this sort of true crime bubble within the limited series space, like the ones I mentioned and in Inventing Anna, we crashed even sort of the subgenre of like these uh, scammer CEOs. Um, <laughs> I think that those are exciting uh, acting contenders, but as far as shows that will do well, Made was a huge hit for yeah. Netflix that was only eclipsed by Squid Game, which is like so massive that I don't know how any and show could go Stranger Things into. is massive too. Yeah. Um, and then Dope Sick has had such a stronghold um, and has already won multiple awards. That feels like Michael Keaton, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's been, I mean, I went Caitlin to the four-year consideration. I would like to see, really. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, uh, she has this weird thing where uh, I think three shows, three years in a row, a show she's been on has won a Peabody. Um, so young, but incredible taste already. Um, and then I think the other one, oh, The White Lotus, which We was, love The White Lotus. Yeah. It well, truly premiered a year ago. Get somewhere. Yeah. What's the name um, of the lead actor who I adore, the Australian guy? Oh, Murray Bartlett. Thank yes. you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he, what's interesting is that in, as far as limited series goes, there's not really a lead on that show, but it seems like Murray Bartlett and Jennifer Coolidge have totally. a lock on uh, supporting for that category. And then what I find to be the most exciting category, though, is best comedy series, because Last year, a lot of shows were not in the running. And so we had some really interesting nominations. Uh, of course, everyone laughing at Emily in Paris getting nominated, but also people being <laughs> excited. Deserving <laughs> of ridicule. <laughs> I was all for it. It was, it was the justification I needed for watching that season so quickly. Um, but also Pen15, it was nice to see. Cobra Kai was nice to see. But I, I think although some of those shows did have seasons that premiered uh, in the eligibility window this year, um, you are going to see Ted Lasso and Hacks and wonder how they actually hold up against these shows that have been uh, so successful year after year. Of course, uh, Marvelous is Mrs. Maisel. Don't you think Atlanta. that's running out of steam? <laughs> I'm surprised. I, like, I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm a big yeah. fan of the show. I'm surprised to see. I'm pretty sure it's only one best comedy series once, um, which the sort of uh, impact it's had has almost been kind of greater, or the impact it's had on Emmy season, I should say, has almost been greater than the amount of awards it's won. Um, but Barry is the other one that I think, in terms that of. That come back strong. Yeah, in terms of returning shows, that really... And it, uh, it got great reviews and great yeah. notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, too, the same thing happened last year where uh, Ted Lasso came early in the season and then Hacks came later, and it was, is the earlier show or the later show going to be the one that wins it? And it so was Barry's pretty the one with lit. the most recent attention. Yeah, and so and Barry kind of falls right in the middle. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, that's the thing too. Though Hacks had the same uh, situation where it's like, is this finale actually the end of the show? And would we be mad at that? Like, it was really great. How have you handled the question? Because this is always an issue for me, but I don't have to see everything. You know, I, yeah. I am, I'm off. <laughs> I'm able to swan in and do my thing. Um, how have you handled what? Are you just able to sort of say, these are the award shows and just watch those? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, um, I always go by what are shows that people have actually watched. Um, and with Emmys, there's a lot of repeat nominees. And so you kind of weigh it of like, was this season so bad that it's finally dropped off? Are people still going to like uh, be on autopilot and vote for it? And then weigh that against what are the news shows that actually have an impact and people from day one are uh, talking about it being an Emmy contender. If you think of Abbott Elementary from day one, people were like, this comedy is so good. I'm so happy about it. I think it might uh, enter the Emmy conversation and it's just built that sort of momentum. And I think Yellow Jackets is the same thing where it's going to be in the drama categories. And so it's really a foundation of the shows that are already getting nominated. And uh, honestly, with the show like This Is Us, I try to watch certain episodes that will be highlighted, but I, I'm long past due. I can't sort of catch up on I think it was Sometimes. eight I seasons. Was, I was binging Yellowstone and yeah. <laughs> 1983 and trying to catch up with Taylor Sheridan. I was sort of hoping I could talk to him at some point. Yeah. And, and it's impossible. It's just the volume is too great. Yeah. And the hardest is that there are some new shows that you really fall in love with, something like a Pachinko. And it's just sort of semi-advocating for it to like uh, make it past the bubble. Like if... Yeah. Everyone just gives it one small push. It can kind of get in there. And so I'm excited about nominations to really see that, what kind of uh, shows that were critical to Darlings maybe made it in the conversation. I'd say uh, Severance is also uh, at that level where there's still kind of a question if it'll make it in. Or Dope Sick, uh, wouldn't you say? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think Dope Sick is a lot just because it's had so much time Good. and acclaim. Good. Yeah, Good. I'm glad to hear that. The thing about the Emmys that I always find sort of disturbing is that at least with the Oscars, you, you know, even if they've added to the ranks tremendously in the last five, six years, and so they're up to 10,000 now, you know, with the new invitations that came in this summer, you could still get your head around who those people are and how they think and you know what how they tend to vote even if they're somewhat younger and more diverse and more international than they used to be with the emmys i can never get my head around it it's just a kind because the numbers are too big it's like this yeah. huge popularity contest basically yeah what did most of the people actually see yeah. And it's very interesting because there is sort of a thread where the general population can kind of follow along. It really is like, what are the shows that we all watched and talked about with each other? But I think that's sort of what is missing. And uh, this comes up with the show like Maisel is just all the four-year consideration work that shows do. Of course, uh, Maisel one year had like 75 sent a gallon gas at a gas station because it was like a throwback day or something like that and when you 
get those kind of perks it's like okay well like let me put this up my watch queue uh and so that's the only aspect where in this was a situation with the globes as well where it's like how did this make this in well the uh, the channel the streaming service etc worked really really hard at convincing people well let's let's pivot to to the globes and 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 the academy which have both been going through a lot of of changes um the globes is a, i find a kind of fascinating uh uh drama you know yeah. unfolding uh here they are they've been catered to and They've been getting uh, swag up the wazoo. I mean, I remember being in a woman's uh, house. She showed me her garage, and there was just piles and piles <laughs> of things stacked to the to the ceiling. And you know, to the extent that you and I do get a few things sent our way, it is mm. nothing like uh, what those people used to do. But it's all over. They've reformed. Mm. And, you know, when it was called to everyone's attention that they had no black members at all um, and and the NBC canceled uh, the Globes last year, uh, the year before last, um, completely, they are, uh, in fact, um, they no, this past year, and they went ahead and did it anyway on their mm -hmm. own without a telecast. But they 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 are they are begging to be allowed back um, into into the the world, and there are a lot of people in the world who want them to come back. Uh, distributors, uh, people with um, uh, Oscar contenders, because they're they're kind of a step along the way where you where we what we missed last year when no one paid any attention to the Globes was you know someone like Rachel Zegler getting attention for mm. winning um, uh, the Globe. Not that I mean we know who they are and we know that we don't take them that seriously as 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 critics or or journalists, but but we the public doesn't know and that that yeah. show is a you know has an enormous. Um, public relations impact, and that's why they were catered to so much. But now they've been chastened and humbled, and they realize that the publicists and the celebrities are not their friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I see no reason for them not to just go forward. But what the latest thing is that they've added uh, the Fipresky, um critics, about 65 of them, uh, I think, um, to to vote for the Globes, mm. to sort of take them. The, the, the publicists who are refusing to give them clients don't want uh, the old guard that they disapprove of so strenuously to have the, to dominate the voting. Right. And and they definitely don't want to participate in the press conferences, but that doesn't matter anymore. I don't think the press conferences matter. What do you think the Globes? Um, uh, what do you think the Globes are? Are they important? Do you think they should continue to exist? I think what's interesting about the Globes, uh, from our perspective, is kind of like it does have the show itself has a lot of elements that you would want to see in an award show. I think you're getting celebrities at their loosest. I think uh, the way they handed out certain awards were, especially on uh, the TV side, were sort of um, an establishment or fan service of like a new star. I think when Rachel Bloom uh, won a Golden Globe for uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or like Tracy Ellis Ross won. Sometimes um, they introduce new people. Yeah. Into yeah. The conversation. 
And then on the movie side, it gets a little more chaotic. It is kind of like, let's give it to the stars. And uh, sometimes um, I guess that drama of like uh, not being able to expect what's going to happen, I believe wasn't, uh, I forget who Aaron Taylor Johnson won the supporting actor globe over, but I felt like that was such a shock Uh when he won for nocturnal animals and i guess it it made for a good tv moment and i'm sure the publicist for that film loved it because i think that's <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the biggest awards attention that film got i enjoy that film for what it is which is a lot of crazy no fun. i mean rocket man got more globes attention and never wound up in, in yeah. the oscar race except for best song of course but but you know that's the kind of thing no there's oh and they they argue that they've given plenty of awards to people of color you know even yeah. if they didn't have that many members i i i decry the fact that they haven't winnowed out their ranks they they should have <laughs> gotten rid of a lot of the the kind of people who are have passed their their uh, expiration date um um but yeah. but anyway uh we'll see we'll see if anything changes now with the Propresky. And as far as the Oscars go, um, Bill Kramer uh, moving swiftly, uh, taking over the Academy uh, after uh, Don Hudson was leaving. Um, and he, he was the head of the Academy Museum, and now he's head of both really right and and he is uh he got rid of the coo christine simmons which everyone expected um he's mm. getting ready for the new oscar season planning and he is uh he got uh promoted J jacqueline stewart who who he had his head programmer who's now head of the museum so onward um but the oscars are going to be interesting because there there's a lot of questions about the 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 new rules that they're going to be putting into place mm. uh, where you have to follow certain diversity inclusion uh rules in order to be eligible even for best yeah. picture and that's going to start coming online and and there are a lot of producers who have issues with that um and i don't know i i think it's great that the academy is holding people to account because you know given their own druthers um, a lot of people just go with hiring who's the, who they're comfortable with. What do you think of, right. these, of these rules? Yeah, and I believe it's a list where you have to have a certain amount, but it's not every sort of... Uh, There's a lot of different categories that right. give you eligibility. Um, so I think Whether people it's were, above, in front of the camera, behind the camera, yeah. marketing team, whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, I remember a lot of people using the example of like, well, if this company doesn't have a female executive, then that is a major issue because that should be an easy box to check. And so I think that I understand the hesitation in putting on parameters, but I think that the parameters are so loose and most films should be able to follow them that it does really stand out if you made a film that isn't able to follow that. And so I think that it would be sort of a light shedding of uh, like, I don't think it would get rid of many eligible films. I think most eligible films would be able to follow it. I think um, most of the producers who are crying foul on this yeah. come from a place that it's so difficult to make a movie anyway. You know, who are these people to tell us how to, yeah. how to make our movie? And I think they need to be, I think they, their consciousness is, as you say, 
are well should be raised. It's 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 fine with me. I have no issue with it. Yeah, it's a nice reminder. It's these things that should be top of mind. These things that should already be in subconscious. Uh, I should be checking like, hey, what is this set looking like? Uh, I want to make sure that we're getting a bunch of diverse opinions here. Um, and so I don't think that it would um, tighten sort of uh, the creativity. I think it's just another reminder of these are things that we should already be talking about as we're making our movies. And if it's the Academy that has to tell them, uh, it's a little unfortunate, but it's uh, useful. I couldn't agree more. Uh, the the I mean, for the, the real point is, is that when you have a movie that um, is unexpected and comes from a different perspective and uh, surprises you, you might actually do well at the box office. And one example of that, of course, is Everything Everywhere All at Once, which has just continued to to surprise. It's like uh, A24's biggest hit ever and you know it's just uh, continuing to chug along because it plays so well um in theaters i think it's finally going you can get it online now um and then the other example would be rrr which i finally caught up with um and as soon as i did it on net i, I watched it on netflix it, mm -hmm. it it should be seen in the theater i get it completely now because it's made on such an extraordinary scale it's the most expensive yes. movie ever made in Bollywood, in India, and the most, the high, it, it's a huge, high grossing, like 160 million worldwide kind of thing. Really amazing. It costs 75 million, something like that, because of the pandemic. Um, and it's, you know, if you've seen a big Bollywood number, if you've seen, uh, um, you know, if, if Top Gun has great stunts, RRR is competitive as far as I'm concerned. It's John Woo on steroids with the slow-mo action sequences and the bromance and and the the big Bollywood numbers and a very serious story of a real, you know, uprising against the imperialist monsters. Um, yeah. What did you think of it? I loved it so much because I do kind of uh, <laughs> love a little bit of maximalism. And so to see that it was firing on all cylinders in this film and then to see actually what the story was, because I had seen viral clips of them yeah. doing the suspenders dance and like, that's oh, right. that's an amazing sequence. But to see that the actual story was really about uh, uprising and that it was... Um, an action film with a bit of a message um, and a story of imperialism that I didn't really know about. I had such a deeper It's based on some true figures. It. I mean, they totally yeah. fictionalize it. They never met each other, but yeah. it is based on, on real, real uh, revolutionaries. Yeah. And I think that as we're sort of coming back to the theater, there's a question of like, the pandemic was quite literally a cultural reset. I think that's a phrase that people jokingly use a lot, but I think that uh, there was a period of time where we had to really sort of sit down in the silence and uh, be introspective. And I think coming out of that, to see a film like RRR, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and to see people really uh, embrace the question of like, what should film be now and what gets, what should be, a film that uh, has a theatrical run. Um, it's so cool to see all this experimentation and 
again, with everything everywhere all at once, I think that's a film that people were excited about this spectacle, excited to see that it somehow was a multiverse story. And then you get there and you're hit with this uh, mother daughter narrative. And that Michelle Yeoh kicking out. ass and Jamie Lee Curtis <laughs> kicking ass, you know, and, yeah. and utterly unexpected totally unpredictable there was a degree to which with rrr because i'm i'm one of those horrible people who sits on a sofa and says oh they're gonna bond now or yeah. oh they're gonna pit each other you know put the two guys they set up in a brilliant it's very well written rrr yeah. i would argue 100 that it should be in the oscar race for screenplay yes 100 i hope that india submits it for the oscars i think that would be awesome this is a case i haven't had a three-hour movie where i'm sitting in my living room without budging a muscle mm -hmm. not moving one inch for three hours since irishman yeah that's the last time i did that <laughs> you know? But I wish I'd seen it in a theater. I would go back in a, in a heartbeat because you're so riveted by it. It, yeah. it goes by at an enormous clip, but you are never, 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 it is never, never giving you a minute to breathe. Really. Yeah. And, and I think the other fascinating element of particularly the theatrical release of RRR uh, is that although people are excited for it to be on Netflix now, it's dubbed in Hindi, which actually isn't uh, the language that they're speaking in the film. And what I was completely unaware of knowing about, knowing generally about Bollywood and how India has this huge film business, that the film is actually a part of uh, Tollywood and it's this whole booming industry. The director, uh, Raj Muli, has been so successful in this industry within India. I mean, it's the biggest film in India as a whole, but uh, in this uh, sub-industry within India that I had no clue about. Um, and if I think one of the best things about the film is that uh, it being an Indian film that a lot of people who aren't familiar with uh, the films of that country are now going back and saying, I need to see more of this. Like, if this is what they are putting out, I have been missing a lot. So I tend to use the word Bollywood to describe a kind of movie that has big musical numbers in it. Right. And this does. I mean, it does. Yeah. It takes a while to get there, actually. Yeah. Um, I was watching with my aunt and she was saying, this isn't a Bollywood movie. And I said, just wait, just wait. It's coming, you know. And of course it does. And they do that thing that they used to do in old Westerns, like um, Cat Baloo or something where you have the song on the soundtrack that's telling the story of what's yes. going on or projecting what's going to happen in the future and asking yeah. questions. Are they going to kill each other? Are they going to remain in love with each other? <laughs> the two men. <Yes. laughs> <laughs> I just I just love the way they use the music. And of course, they've been churning out hits and churning out clips and the marketing on this is amazing. Um, and we'll see where, where it goes. But that is the direction to go in. In, in every way um so uh so the so the question is also we we're looking at this enormous box office this summer so the mainstream 
Hollywood movies are doing well, one yeah. after the other. Minions was huge, as I thought it would be. Um, even Jurassic has held on, you know, <laughs> uh, the less than stellar uh, Jurassic. Uh, Top Gun continues to be huge uh, going forward, you know, biggest movie of the year. Uh, mm -hmm. So we shall see what Thor is going yes. to do. And we were having a debate about this in our film meeting this week. You know, is it going to top Doctor Strange? Uh, I think it will. I mm -hmm. absolutely think it will. And the numbers so far suggest that it will. Um, whether, but, but the question with Thor, I mean, what you get is this great Taika YTT spin on, on things. And he just gives you this great uh, humor and, and perspective and under, under uh, you know, he, he, he digs underneath the, the cliches of Marvel and has fun with it. But um, what, where do you think the Marvel universe is, is going right now, post-Thanos, post-Endgame? <laughs> I know it's difficult. That's a huge question because I feel that the success of the early phases, I guess, one through three, was that we were given an endpoint so early. And so part of the uh, incentive of keeping up was getting all the little puzzle pieces that uh, added up to Endgame. But I think that Marvel is dishing more questions than answers. And so as much as I, I liked Dr. Strange too enough, but my criticism of it was that if I were to tell someone who had, who's like a casual Marvel viewer um, to go see it, they would walk out so extremely confused. And even me as a big Marvel fan, uh, was watching it like, wait, did I have to watch the what if show to get this element and that element? And I think, I mean, what's interesting is also being a Marvel fan is that Kevin Feige has hinted that he already, uh, they've already sort of indicated what the end point would be and sort of what event they may be adapting. Um, and Doctor Strange 2 is kind of the part of that where if you saw they were talking about this thing called incursions and alternate realities hitting each other and things exploding and stuff like that uh and that in that is a big part of this event called secret wars which was um a redo of a, a huge event that happened in the 80s and it was by this it was concocted by this writer jonathan hickman and uh, I'm already talking so much about it, and it would take another hour to explain. <laughs> I'm definitely <what> lost. <laughs> I keep um, up with the Marvel movies, and I think what they did in Spider Man was genius. Yeah. Genius yeah. to actually pull all those Spider Men in as characters to interact with in, with the Tom Holland Spider Man. You know that was that was extraordinary, and and to have and to have Doctor Strange himself being you know uh, fallible as much as he is. You know. Yeah. And it creates a more accessible movie. I mean, there I'm sure someone out there maybe only saw the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies and maybe didn't dip into the MCU. But uh, there's an advantage to seeing the No Way Home just to see the uh, their Spider-Man's cameo. And I think with Thor, too, uh, well, 
let me clarify the newest Thor film, <laughs> because I don't think a lot of people want to watch Thor two, um, is that this feels Ragnarok more ex- we liked. We liked Ragnarok. We loved Ragnarok. Um, but I think Love and Thunder feels a little bit more accessible and it doesn't feel like you have to see every single Marvel No, no, movie. that one stands alone pretty well. Yeah. Actually. And so I think that's sort of why I would agree that it would probably edge Doctor Strange 2 because I think there was a pretty big fall um, the next, the second week for Doctor Strange 2. But I feel that with Thor Love and Thunder, we're actually going to see uh, the Marvel fans go out and see it and then be able to convince people who aren't uh, right. as huge Marvel fans. Like, you maybe you like Taika Waititi from his shows. Like, you'll like this movie that has that same sort of um, style. Eric's on it. vacation this week, but he has a really good uh, Taika Waititi interview up on, on the site uh, today. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll I'm curious to see what the numbers are going to be. And then we, the, but the only thing I'm concerned about, and I just bring this up every time, is that, you know, in LA, all these art houses are closing and yes. maybe the arc light's coming back, but it's going to be a long way off. And, and the Cinerama Dome, you know, wh- you know, now we have the, the sort of uh, AMCs of the world taking over. And I wonder um, the, the, what's going on is that everything everywhere all at once and a lot of the films that are working that are independent films um, right. are, are appealing to a younger audience. And what mm-hmm. I'm seeing, I'm noticing, you know, even Searchlight and, and Focus, they have a lot of movies in A24 and Neon. They have a lot of movies that are aiming at the younger audience. And the reason for that is that they can count on them to show up. And yeah. I think we're going to see fewer and fewer movies going out theatrically aiming at the art house audience. And that's going to create, because the older people haven't shown up, they're not yeah. coming back. That's going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy, unfortunately. But yeah. we've got a few of them opening this weekend. Uh, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, which I loved, with Leslie Manville, which takes uh, you know the world of couture uh, along with an aspirational uh, story about a young, a woman who is um, a cleaning lady mm. who falls in love with a Dior dress from one of her uh, cl- you know she one of her uh, the people who hire her to clean their house, and then uh, wants to go buy one of her own. You know, yeah. it's it's a great story. And Leslie Manville's amazing in it. And then we have Both Sides of the Blade, which was Claire Denis' movie called Fire out of uh, Berlin, which won Best Director and stars mm. Juliette Binoche and Vincent Landon, which is fantastic. Like my yeah. the best Claire Denis. And you saw the the other one I love, which I interviewed the, the directors for, Fire of Love, which I think could have a good shot at being a, a major Oscar contender for Best Documentary Feature. Yeah, I think what was interesting was that uh, Sundance, of course, is a great launching pad for a lot of documentaries. And there was a lot of conversation about this one and how people went in uh, not quite knowing what to expect, thinking that it would be much more focused on the nature and then uh, finding this love story that they weren't even expecting. Um, And again, because it has, of course, the fire is all this lava it has such a cinematic appeal that like uh even for the nature people like this is great this is the kind of uh natural stuff that you do want to see on a big screen absolutely it's gorgeous Um, 
Yeah. And so it is something that you could kind of uh, and thrilling, really scary. Can, yeah. It's uh, something that appeals to a lot of different people. A lot of there's a lot of ways in uh, in order to watch it. And so I do think that uh, from an awards perspective, it does have uh, the right kind of staying power, things that uh, people will, will continue to talk about. Well, have you seen anything else that you want to talk about before we take off? Um, the one thing I'm dying to see, but emotionally, I have to emotionally prepare myself, um, and it's going wider and wider, uh, is another A24 movie, Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Um, I remember when those videos initially came out. Of course, this is Jenny Slate and uh, Dean Fletcher Camp. Uh, their big collaboration and each one is so sweet and everyone who's seen the movie has so enjoyed it and I just know that uh, the second I sit in the chair I'm going to be tearing up. This is because... my issue too. No, I've heard the same thing. People keep telling me how much they love it and I, I you and I are going to promise each other to go see it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and bring our box of tissues. <laughs> <laughs> if you come back to L.A., we can even go together. Exactly. Uh, so, OK, he's staying. He's staying with his parents in Maryland for a bit. So that's yeah. what's going on. OK, thanks. This was great having you, Marcus. This is Oh, wonderful. my God. Again, I loved it. Thank you so much for having me. Excited for Eric to be back, though. <laughs> <laughs> Hope All right. You had a see great you back vacation. in the office soon. Yeah. OK. All right. See you later. Bye. -bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.